Welcome to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, also known as the URM Jam, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. On this podcast, we will address the real and perceived barriers faced by historically underrepresented in medicine students and residents who are considering a career in academic family medicine. We'll provide practical tips and personal advice on topics like leadership, scholarly activity, CVs, mentorship, and more. I'm Dr. Omari Hodge. And I'm Dr. Tochi Iroku Malise. And this is URM Jam. On today's episode, we are discussing caring for the underserved. We have Dr. Harry Struthers with us. Dr. Harry S. Struthers III became chairman and professor of the Department of Family Medicine at Mercer University School of Medicine in March 2016. Dr. Struthers received his medical degree from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in 1982 and stayed for residency training in family medicine. He is board certified in family medicine and has a certificate of added qualifications in geriatrics. He enjoys caring for people of all ages and teaching. He's married with two grown children and two grandchildren. We'd like to welcome you to our program, Dr. Struthers. Thank you. Thank you. So Dr. Struthers, thank you very much for joining us today. We know that you serve as chair of family medicine at Mercer University, as was just mentioned. Can you just tell our audience a little bit about your path and how caring for the underserved became important to you? Sure. I guess my path started with my mother, who was a registered nurse at Howard University Hospital. So that's kind of where I got my first introduction to medicine and doctor. I wasn't sure I wanted to be a doctor when I was growing up, but I was exposed to medicine. And I was impressed by the way that they genuinely wanted to take care of the population that they were seeing. Ended up in college and uh, met my first family physician who in addition to caring for his patients, was also the soccer coach for his kids and was caring for the community in other other ways, giving talks in the community about different topics that it came up in medicine. So I went to medical school thinking I wanted to do family medicine, having had some exposure to different specialists at Howard, but pretty convinced I wanted to do family medicine and convinced I wanted to take care of underserved populations. And in fact, I kind of cemented that by applying for and getting a National Health Service Corps scholarship. So I knew after residency, I would owe four years of service to an underserved community uh, somewhere in the United States. So went through medical school, was affirmed that yes, family medicine is what I wanted to do. I spent some time during medical school working at a community health center there in Baltimore, vacations and some elective time. Again, cemented that yes, family medicine was right for me, taking care of underserved populations was right for me. And my National Health Service Corps site ended up being in a small town called Eastover, South Carolina. Eastover, South Carolina was about 50 miles from Columbia and the large hospitals there, uh, about 45 miles from Orangeburg and Sumter. We were in the same county as Columbia, and so a lot of the services were easier to get for my patients if they stayed in county, even though 
going to other cities was a little bit closer. So I was a family physician there for a little bit more than four years, taking care of whatever came in the door, trying to uh, provide care to that community and, and outreaches, especially as far as pre preventive services and immunization. So I, I just want to quickly point out, you mentioned that you you knew that you wanted to do take care of the underserved population and you joined the National Health Services Corps. I'm just curious, as a student, how did you even know about that, that that was an option? I did research about how I was going to pay for medical school. So before I applied to medical school, I was looking into, okay, how am I going to pay for this? Because my parents weren't going to pay for it. And realized that if I wanted to do what I said I wanted to do, take care of underserved population, getting out of medical school with a load of debt would make it more difficult. So glad you uh, you actually answered that because this that as a great segue to our, our next question, which is, does caring for the underserved mean getting compensated less necessarily? In other words, if I care for the underserved, will I still be able to take care of my other financial responsibilities, such as medical school debt, raising my family, et cetera, all the things that maybe I had planned to do? It takes planning. I can say probably you get paid a little bit less than you could in other practices, but there's other compensation. You have a population who really needs your service and frequently really acknowledges that you're there. And I guess the difference I see it is, okay, I can afford a very nice Honda. Nothing wrong with the Honda. That's right. Honda. It's going to last forever. <laughs> I don't, I don't need a Mercedes. So it, it kind of depends on what you're looking for in life. Yeah, my job keeps me in very nice Hondas. And, you know, we have a very nice house. Uh, I was able to put my kids through college, a combination of what my wife and I earned and telling them ahead of time, mom and dad will pay for in-state tuition. You want to go someplace else, you got to get a scholarship. That's the conversation being held right now <laughs> with all the seniors across the country. That's right. That's right. You know, as you yeah, were talking- we, we started in junior high. <laughs> Early the better. You know, one yeah. of the things that you were saying when you were talking that made me, as you're speaking, I remember when I was doing my family medicine, um, uh, I was doing a rural rotation, sorry. And um, there was a doctor, Ken Howard, out in- Up near Rome. Yeah, up he's near up Rome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I remember being in his office and a patient came in and the patient didn't have any resources to take care of the visit that day, but he brought in a chest and he opened a chest and it was filled with fish. <laughs> And I know, and, and, and at that moment, it kind of solidified for me, you know what, this is what I want to do. You know, not necessarily that I'm expecting a cooler fish for treating patients, but just the concept that I may not have all the resources that I need to take care of my visit today. Um, but um, if you'll allow me the integrity of showing you that I care about what the, the service that you're providing for me, and I value this, it just spoke to me in ways that were that were larger than life at that time, just those little moments. So that's that's amazing. Um, uh, wait, you know what's funny, Dr. Hodge? Um, <laughs> my dad told me the same thing. My dad was a doc, and he said that if currency ever goes down or if there's ever a situation, right. the fact if you as a family doctor, when you just have to put a shingle up on your house and say that yes. I'm open for business, and they'll come in, they'll either help to clean your house or they'll bring you chickens or they'll bring you oranges That's or something. Right. And that's, right. and that's their payment because you're part of the community and this is the it's like barter for you caring for them that 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 trust that relationship so I that's the exactly. fact that you had fish yes that's 
Yeah. Interesting. It's right Interesting. in line. Yes. So here's another question for you. Why is caring for the underserved important to academic learners and leaders? I mean, aren't there charity organizations and other groups who have more time to do this in a better way or a better fashion? I think it's important to present an example to our students. Number one, that this is available to them, that you can do this, you can create a lifestyle that's fantastic and still take care of people who need your help. And I think going through medical school, students do get caught up in how much they're gonna owe when they get out. And so giving them an example of a way that you can have a practice that is efficient, that takes care of people who need the care and still live a decent lifestyle uh, is another kind of example for students that they need to see. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, and, and I always felt that taking care of underserved populations, even doing global health, the same reason, it's important because if you don't have a healthy community, they cannot contribute to the economy. If they're not contributing to the economy, the town, the community can fail. And so it's, I, it's part of our responsibility. It's, it, it is part of our lane, I should say, right? That to make sure mm -hmm. that we ensure that um, we have healthy communities, both those who we see on a regular basis in some of the higher end practices, as well as those who are not being served well. So it, 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 social uh, consciousness is an important part of education. And uh, I, I really do believe that um, the learners need to under appreciate this and uh, and leaders need to understand this. It's, remember the movie, The Doctor, where he had to, he, he um, William Hurt, I think it was, and he mm -hmm. became the patient and he had to go through, navigate the hospital mm -hmm. system, healthcare system as mm -hmm. a patient, and then he changed his outlook. So that's important for us to make sure that all of our students, all of our learners, and, and, and then eventually they become leaders, appreciate what the underserved population has to go through in order to access healthcare, right? So. Um, I agree with you. Let me, let me ask you this, um, Dr. Struthers. Is there a link between cultural competence and caring for the other underserved? Does one strengthen the other? Do I become a better provider in understanding these concepts as I, as I um, care for the underserved? Well, I don't use the, the term cultural competence. Uh, I use the term cultural humility. And I got that from from one of my, my friends and mentor, uh, George like Ross. Because unless it's your own culture, you probably will never really become competent in, in other cultures. Mm. Very but, true, very true. But saying to that person, listen, I did not grow up in your culture. Can you help me understand what I need to take the best care of you? And you get patients that will befriend you and say, okay, this is how you address people from my community. Don't say this, say that. You know, yes. phrase it this way, not, you know, not your medical terminology. Let me help you explain it in a way that my people are going to understand. And if you do that, then lots of different cultures will embrace you. And it's not a matter of having to learn each culture. You get taught along the way if you're open to it. I think that's an important point you just brought about because obviously a huge focus is on ensuring that 
the numbers of minorities matriculating into medical school and going on to become residents increases, but it doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to learn to have this cultural humility with people who maybe who look differently and think differently than we do. Perfect examples. I have a good friend of mine named uh, Don Schaefer, who's an oncologist um, in Atlanta, and we do this yearly trip to Ethiopia. And Don is a, a white guy, and he wouldn't have me saying he's as white as you can get. <laughs> he, he would agree with me. And one of the things Don does is when we get to Ethiopia, he is extremely intentional about learning. Uh, he learned um, how to count, and so he learned how to count. And he learned the days of the week and just little little things that you would have to know to navigate. And so when he would see his patients and begin the conversation using these terms in their language, you should just see their eyes light up. They smile. I mean, they don't understand anything he's saying. He still has to use his translator, but they got that point. And what it really spoke to them was, you matter enough to me that I want to see life through the filters that you use. And all the information that they may have been holding onto or afraid to release to him because he's a foreigner, it just sets him at ease and and they start really opening up to him. So I totally understand and agree with the way that you phrase that. So I have, um, I guess, a, a modified version of a question here for you. The medical students and the residents that are listening to this podcast uh, right now, what should they be doing? Um, what should they be looking at? What, what, what avenue should they be taking uh, to get on this path of doing, um, serving the underserved, uh, taking care of the underserved in a, while pursuing a career in academic medicine? What would you say are the steps that they should be doing, active action items they should be doing right now? The first action item is to make that decision that this is what they want to do. The second is to realize that economically, they're still going to be in the 90th percentile of income earners in the United States. Uh, and it's, it's, again, a matter of planning. My wife is a real estate agent, a realtor. And so part of what we did was plan our future as far as where we're going to live, where we're going to educate our children, what kind of housing are we looking for, how to put all those things in a budget so that we can do the things, take care of the people that we want to take care of. So, so a lot of it is planning ahead of time and making the financial plans and the future plans correspond with the way you want your life to come out and the people you want to take care of. And so planning ahead and getting help in that planning from people that you can trust, uh, I think are the, the first probably one, two, three, four, five steps involved in getting yourself set to take care of underserved populations in academic medicine or elsewhere, because that way you're not worried about the money. You know, you've planned, you're saving, and you can pay attention to the patients you're going to care for rather than worrying about this other thing. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I agree with that. And I would also tell them that, you know, for the students and residents out there, find people who are doing this and, and shadow them Amen. or rotate with them. Uh, if you can do a selective uh, with uh, someone who's working in an underserved popular area, uh, do that, even if, 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 especially if your uh, organization or your school or residency program doesn't have that, find a way to do an a way elective or selective, 
with someone who's in academic medicine who's doing uh, taking care of this underrepresented uh, population so that you get a feel for it, so you understand that, yes, this is what you really want to do. And, and like you, did, you said, re do research, be proactive, don't be afraid to, uh, to, to reach out to others and say, okay, um, I hear that this is what you're doing. Dr. Struthers, can I come and join you, <laughs> join you for a session? Can I have, can I set up a meeting with you? That type of thing. So I think, yeah, yeah, yeah but you have to plan, uh, you know, and then it's okay to change your mind across the way. So you may have thought you were going to go into urban and then you realize after this podcast, this is what you want to do. It's okay. Pivot and, and find your, your mentors. Dr. Struthers, we want to leave you with the last word. Do you have three main takeaway points that you want to leave for our listeners so that they can chew on after they listen to this? Okay. So the, the first one is plan. Plan your future. Don't let it just happen to you. Things will happen anyway, but plan it as much as possible. The second is there are lots of people who are willing to help you if you ask them. So look for electives, look for people who are doing what you think you want to do in your future. You'll find lots of help if you ask for it. And the third thing is find your group of people, find your tribe, find people who have the same kind of vision and are looking for the same kind of outcome as you. Uh, some of them may be local, some of them may be in your state association, and some of them will be national, uh, like where Toshi and I met. So um, exactly, there will be people who have the same kind of outlook and same vision as you if you go out and look for them. We really appreciate that. That has been a wealth of wisdom and knowledge um, for many people searching for information regarding this very topic, um, which I'm sure is near and dear to a, a few who might have felt um, defeated um, because they couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So we appreciate you for shedding light on that. Yes. Yeah. I want to say, also say thank you very much. Uh, we're very, very pleased to have had you here today to discuss this topic. I want to thank the audience and, uh, and I want to thank the, our moderators today. You've been listening to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast providers, as well as on our website at stfm.org slash urmjam. Follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. 